0: Slice Audio.
1: Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Welcome back to another edition of Doc Talk. I'm here today with Dr. Brewer. My name is Leslie Klein. Dr. Brewer is a board-certified OBGYN with Monument Health, and you are also the program director up in Spearfish for Women's and Children's Services. That's correct. Well, thank you so much for coming up with us mm-hmm. today. Sure. We are talking about something that's hard to discuss, but necessary to do so, endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And... It just It's kind of a daunting phrase if you aren't that well-educated on what it is or it's just been floated by you a couple of times. Let's start at the top. What exactly is endometriosis?
0: So endometriosis is a gynecologic condition where... Um, the lining of the uterus, which is what's called the endometrium, and that um, that same type of tissue implants in other places in your abdomen. So it can be um, on your fallopian tubes, it can be on your ovaries, underneath the uterus, anywhere in the abdomen it can, it can be located. Um, and so those same types of glands and tissue are implanted in the peritoneum, which is the protective covering basically of your entire abdomen. And so that tissue um, is hormone responsive. And so as you're ovaries function normally it stimulates that tissue to grow and it um, it releases some anti- some inflammatory type things that cause pain um, and um, an inflammation in the abdomen and so um, it's a relatively common condition that that, Women who have pelvic pain, you know, could have endometriosis. Um, It can be asymptomatic as well, but it's complicated um, in in how it occurs. Um, But it it causes a lot of chronic pain, painful periods, um, painful intercourse, that kind of thing.
1: Is this something that often goes undiagnosed? Do people sometimes go without realizing that they have this condition?
0: Yeah. It um, So endometriosis is diagnosed surgically. We can have some clinical suspicion that patients have it based on their symptoms, but many patients are asymptomatic. So there are times when we're doing surgery for other reasons that we find endometriosis. So say we're looking in there to do something else and, and we may see endometriosis present. Um, or sometimes on imaging studies, we can see there are um, some cysts you can get on your ovaries that are are very specific to endometriosis. They're called endometriomas. And so sometimes we'll get have an ultrasound for some reason, and we'll see something that looks like an endometrioma. Um, so that gives us a little higher clinical suspicion that somebody has endometriosis. Uh, but there are many patients who are asymptomatic.
1: Do we, not myself, but does the medical community, do they have an understanding of what causes endometriosis?
0: So that part is, is probably more confusing. Um, it we have some theories as to what causes it. We're not exactly sure. Um, the the probably the best theory that there is, is what's called retrograde menstruation. So when a woman has her period and that lining of the uterus sloughs off, that's what the period is, um, some of that will go out the fallopian tube. So most of it comes down through the cervix into the vagina, but some of it will go out the fallopian tubes. And so that tissue then implants in the peritoneum. Um, there there are other theories as well, um, only because... Uh, it can be found in other places, so that um, sort of makes that retrograde flow maybe questionable. So it can be found um, in other organs. It can be found in your bladder. It can be found in the in the bowel, rectum, or other bowel. Um, it can actually even be found in your lungs. So some of the other theories are that uh, it could be spread through the bloodstream. It may be a spread through lymphatic system. Um, maybe stem cells um, can you know because stem cells can turn into any kind of cell. That may that may be a reason stem cells from the bone marrow could also um, implant in other places. And so it's a little bit, um, you know, an unknown type of thing. Um, The retrograde flow um, seems like the most realistic um, option, um, but it's probably more than just one thing. It's probably a complex um, variety of things. Um, the other part being that not every woman has endometriosis and most women are having periods for, you know, many years in their life and, and they also would have retrograde flow, but not everybody gets endometriosis. So there's something else that has to happen for those cells to implant and be reactive and, um, and cause that inflammation. So we're not totally sure. Um, there are some um, biochemical scientific <laughs> answers to that, but we're not, we're not totally sure. So.
1: I have never heard of endometriosis in places other than inside of the Mm -hmm. uterus. You said inside of the bladder, maybe even in your lungs. Mm -hmm. Has there been a case where someone who wasn't born with the uterus, they developed endometriosis? Or is it specifically...
0: You know, I'm not sure if there's been a patient, you know, that never had a uterus that um, that had it. It's conceivable just based on some of the theories of how that occurs. Um, I would say for most patients, we find it in their abdomen, uh, but we can find it like between, there's a space between like the vagina and the rectum. We find it there. We find it in scars sometimes in the abdomen, um, like if someone's had a C-section or they've had their tubes tied or any other type of surgical procedure, we can find it um, in the scar itself that presumably is was seated from the surgery that that came up through the scar. Um, uh, But I'm not totally sure on your on your question specifically. Gotcha.
1: So if a patient comes to see you, Mm -hmm. or someone out there is wondering, is this something I have this sounds similar to things I've been experiencing? Mm -hmm. How do they figure out if they have endometriosis? What does that process look like?
0: So most of the patients that we see that we're, you know, investigating whether they have endometriosis, they 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 have pelvic pain. You know, again, there's asymptomatic patients, but they're not coming in just to find out. Uh, But usually they have pelvic pain in some way. It can be cyclic pain that occurs with their period. Um, Usually if it's endometriosis, it will start before their period, a few days at least before, could be a week before. And then one to two days into their period, the pain gets better. So that's kind of a a typical symptom that we'll see, that they have cyclic pain, starts before their period, gets better once their period kind of starts. Uh, But it can become Chronic pain, so chronic pelvic pain that people have pain every day or more days than not. um, That's another, you know, uh, main symptom. Um, Pain with intercourse would be another reason that patients may present and uh, have questions. Um, It can be. they may also have like some urinary type complaints or some bowel type complaints. So like pain, having bowel movements at the time of your period is one of those things that definitely like clicks in our head that, oh, maybe this patient has endometriosis. So those symptoms are, you know, there's a lot of them. Um, and so it uh, it is. It can be kind of confusing because there are other things that can cause um, those same symptoms. So, so endometriosis specifically is diagnosed surgically. You have to actually do surgery to diagnose it definitively, um, which you know is is an invasive thing to do. And and so, in a lot of patients, we don't uh, we don't just do surgery right away just to see if someone has it. We kind of um, kind of look at their symptoms to try and decide if we think they have it or maybe not.
1: Absolutely, that makes sense. You don't want to mm-hmm. jump right into surgery without. you know, prerequisites to Mm -hmm. do so. And this sounds so complex and uncomfortable, to say the least. If someone at the same time is trying to get pregnant or Mm -hmm. to conceive, does this have any effect on their fertility or how their pregnancy might go?
0: Yeah, it it can. Um, So so about... Somewhere around 10% of people of the general reproductive age probably have endometriosis, uh, but in infertility patients, that number is higher. So maybe somewhere between 30 and 40% will have endometriosis when they're being uh, worked up for infertility. That we find endometriosis, we don't know specifically why that affects um, fertility, other than you know advanced disease. It, there's there's kind of a range. It can be mild to severe. Mild disease generally um, doesn't cause like scarring that would affect the fallopian tubes or adhesions or, or that kind of thing. The more advanced the disease gets, the more you might see that. So you can see that you know, the ability for the tube to pick up an egg might be compromised if the tube is scarred in some way. Um, but even mild endometriosis can affect fertility. And we think it's because, there's, because of this inflammatory response that occurs that the infl- inflammation in the pelvis um, makes it like a bad environment for the egg. So when the egg is given off by the ovary and picked up by the tube, it just doesn't do well. Um, so that's sort of the theory behind how um, how it can cause infertility in mild disease. In severe disease when, you know, their tubes are blocked or, uh, you know, uh, those sorts of things, then, then it makes more sense as to how that could cause infertility. Once you're pregnant, generally it doesn't cause any trouble. For a lot of patients, endometriosis will kind of um, Recede in some way, like the inflammation will go down, the um, and so they'll have less less pain uh, most of the time for patients. Their their endometriosis type pain will go away. Um, that's not across the board, but for a fair amount of patients, they'll um, they'll have less pain while they're pregnant. There are a few studies out there that show maybe higher risk of preterm delivery, um, uh, maybe a higher risk of a C section, um, and and like another condition called a placenta previa, but, um, I don't have a good reason for why that is, but uh, but it seems to be that in some studies, patients who had those conditions maybe had higher, uh, more of them had endometriosis. But but usually, once you're pregnant, it's not it's not a big thing. We don't we don't do anything different for your pregnancy. We don't monitor you differently because you had endometriosis.
1: I mean that's good news. So at yeah. this point, where the research and the studies are, as soon as you become pregnant, that doesn't severely affect your pregnancy. Correct. So that's right. good news for yep. those who are with this condition, mm-hmm. maybe wanting to plan a family or have another pregnancy. But before that, I think that there's a lot of taboo talking about uh, menstrual cycle pain, period Mm -hmm. pain. What are these symptoms? Are they normal? Mm -hmm. So in your expert opinion, what does a normal period consist of? When should patients talk to their doctors? What are those symptoms like?
0: So for most people, you know, we would describe a normal cycle as being anywhere from 21 to 35 days apart from the start of one to the start of the next. So regular cycles, um, for most people, they're every 28 days. We talk about it being every four weeks or once a month, but anywhere in that 21 to 35 days is normal. Um, Typically, the flow is anywhere from three to seven days, and it can be mild to moderate. Um, That's sort of a normal period, I would say. Um, Certainly, some patients have some cramping, some don't. Um, Typically, those things are you know, tolerable with Tylenol or ibuprofen or you know, Pamprin or something like that. Um, so we would generally tell patients that if their if their periods you know, when they should come see a gynecologist is if if they're excessive, if they're having to change, you know, a tampon or whatever they're using more than every hour or two, if um, the pain is so severe that it affects their daily life, like they can't go to school, they can't go to work, it, you know, keeps them in their home, um, if if that bleeding is heavy enough or the pain is bad enough. those are probably the biggest things. The other things that are you know like like I mentioned before, like pain with with bowel movements at the time of their period that can be endometriosis. So there's lots of different things that you can have. Any of those may be treatable, um, but those would be reasons that that we would generally encourage patients to come in. Do you
1: have a suggested way for patients to kind of track maybe their cycle and their symptoms or do you just mm-hmm. ask them at, at your you know mm-hmm. visit with them, what have you been experiencing?
0: So there, you know, for a lot of patients, they, you know, use their phones and there's tracking apps that they can use that kind of track their periods in general. Um, and some of those apps do, you know, have ability to keep notes and, and things like that. I have patients who will come in with a planner that they, you know, or their calendar that they marked their cycles. And, um, you know, I'd say for people who have pretty regular cycles, I don't worry too much about it. Um, but for um you know, people that are having trouble, they'll start tracking those things, um, and then when they come to see us, they usually, you know, have kind of an outline of what's going on, and then we go through all the questions we ask about bladder symptoms and bowel symptoms, and um, you know, intercourse and those sorts of things that that can be contributed, and, and try and figure out, you know, if we think if we think it's endometriosis, if we think it's something else. So,
1: gotcha. Any data is good data, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. So, if someone does have the diagnosis of mm-hmm. endometriosis. What do you use to either manage the symptoms or is there a cure for Mm -hmm. this?
0: So, because endometriosis is diagnosed surgically, it's one of those strange um, illnesses that we actually try and treat before we diagnose it um, because, um, again, because we have to do surgery to diagnose it. So for patients who come in that have clinical symptoms that it seems like they have endometriosis, we often will start with um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, so ibuprofen, um, Advil, those types of medications, um, primarily because the, the condition, how it works, is that those those cells that are implanted in the wrong place, um, they release prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are chemicals that cause people to cramp. So that's why people have menstrual cramps. If you um, have an injury, there's prostaglandins release, and that causes inflammation. And so um, nonsteroidals like ibuprofen are anti-inflammatories that block prostaglandins. And so that's how they work to help with pain. Um, So for most patients, we start with that as well as usually something to suppress their ovaries uh, because the ovaries will stimulate that tissue to grow. So the way the ovaries work, by giving off hormones in a cyclic fashion, they cause the lining of the uterus to grow, and then if you're not pregnant, you slough that off. Well, all those cells that are implanted in other places get stimulated as well, and so they're releasing chemicals, they're causing inflammation and causing pain. So by suppressing the ovaries, um, we can decrease that amount of inflammation. We also decrease the amount of endometrium that's available to implant in other places. So any type of uh, birth control, for the most part, birth control pill. Um, there's you know both combined estrogen progesterone types there's progesterone only Um, any of those things the shot uh, the patch those things can all help Um, and so that's kind of our starting treatment, and then if if it works, great. We still don't know for sure if you have endometriosis, but you're doing better, and so we kind of leave it at that. Um, if it doesn't help, then, uh, then we may move towards a surgical diagnosis. Once it's actually diagnosed, those same treatments we use um, for a lot of people that can, be, um, can work well for them, the benefit of having a surgical diagnosis is that we can treat it at the same time. So in surgery, we would either um, cauterize or laser the endometriosis. You can excise it depending on how significant it is. Um, So people will get some pain relief from that. And then after surgery, we talk to them about going on that ovarian suppression or some sort of hormonal therapy to keep that tissue from growing. Um, That's sort of the basic treatments. There are some more advanced treatments if those things aren't helping. Um, There are some medications that are a little more aggressive that sort of shut down your ovaries temporarily to put you in like a... um, a temporary menopausal state, um, and that can help patients. Those are short-term treatments. That, depending on what it is, some are 6 to 12 months, some are up to 2 years, and those are things that patients can do if their pain isn't controlled with the with the um, less invasive and, and less aggressive forms.
1: Wow. So during surgery, you actually go in and cauterize yep. the actual tissue that's causing that pain and those complications? Yep.
0: Or use a laser, kind of the laser evaporates. And so, okay. yeah, so we try and treat what we can when we see it, as long as it's in a safe place. Um, yeah. You know, if it's on the colon and you can't laser that, those sorts of things. Understandably. But yeah, treat as much as we can. Wow.
1: I did not know that. And of course, reproductive health is extremely complex. Mm-hmm. What seems like one thing might be another. So you're just trying to do the best you can. And you did mention that birth control, um, mm-hmm. hormonal birth control is helpful in some ways. Yep. Is Our non-hormonal birth control forms like the copper IUD would that also affect it or is that not
0: Yeah, the copper IUD would not treat endometriosis. The progesterone IUD would though. So the um the levonorgestrel type devices, so there's three out there. Um they can help. It it's a little bit um that one's a little harder to understand exactly why it works in that way because it's a local effect to the uterus. It does decrease the endometrium and the amount that's growing. So that's less that can go out and um, and, and implant in other places. Um, but it does seem to decrease the um, the release of some of those inflammatory markers and things. And so a, a Mirena IUD or a progesterone secreting IUD can be beneficial and, and in studies has shown that it, you can get good pain relief from that as well. So that's also another option. We would just stay away from the copper one because it, it's not affecting the hormones so that makes sense yeah
1: is are there long-term risks associated with having endometriosis in other parts of the body as well
0: so there are some risks it you know locally it can affect you know it can really um cause a lot of adhesions and kind of um in the abdomen and pelvis itself um and so that can you know, other than the infertility things we talked about people you know they get chronic pain that can be something that's hard to Treat it can get into the bladder. They can get blood in their urine. They can have a lot of bladder symptoms. If it's into the colon, they can get blood, um, you know, that they pass with bowel movements. And it can invade into the colon and need to be resected. Um, You can get bowel obstructions if it gets that bad. Um, The lung findings are are really rare. It's not something I've ever seen myself, um, but there are definitely reported cases of patients um, having, you know, endometriosis in their lungs, which you know you can have like a like a collapsed lung from the inflammation and and those sorts of things, I've never actually seen that.
1: It's good that you haven't seen that, but (laughs) it is also good to know and be informed and educated, and with all due respect, a lot of people dread their yearly exams. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people might be apprehensive when it comes to calling their doctor, talking to them. If someone has suspicions that this is something that they're dealing with, what advice do you have for them?
0: I think. I mean, I think going to your doctor and seeing your doctor is is the best advice. Doctor Google is is not always as helpful um, because it scares people. You know, they go online, they read stuff, and they think automatically, they must have cancer or they must have something else really bad wrong with them. Um, and so, I think going to your physician and just explaining all the symptoms that you're having, um, some of them can be hard for them to talk about. Like they may not want to talk about pain with intercourse and that kind of thing. But you know, for gynecologists, that's what we do all day, and and you know, so any nothing's really going to shock us, and um, <laughs> we're pretty open to any kind of conversation about the. Pelvis. So
1: that's great. And again, as we continue to talk about these things, destigmatize them, inform people as much as we can, hopefully that helps ease the barrier between doctor and patient. Yep. Dr. Brewer, thank you so much for coming in. It's a difficult topic, but I learned a lot, and I know everyone else listening will. So thank Thanks you so much. Me. Of yep. course.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.